All right, good morning. Has anybody ever been on a hydroplane boat before? Yes, really? And how many would go in one if you had the opportunity? Hey, you guys are crazy. Crazy. Hey, we want to welcome back the Haiti team. They flew in late Friday night. Let's uh, thank them for being down in Port-au-Prince. They were with Carl and Maya, our missionaries down there. And uh, thank you so much to those 13 people for representing Christ and representing the church very well in your service down there. It's just amazing to be able to send teams down all over the place. So I um, want to ask you a question. Have you seen the show Undercover Boss? Okay, it's been out for a couple seasons, okay? I mean, it's just a great show, just with this great concept. And uh, for those of you that may not have seen this show, there's actually a Canadian edition coming on this winter season, I believe, um, because it's so popular. But for those of you who may not have seen this show, it's a very simple concept, very powerful. A CEO from a very large company goes undercover, gets in disguise, and goes right down on the front line with the other workers to find out more about the company that they lead. And... Um, Often in the course of the episode, there's hidden cameras and microphones on everybody, that usually the frontline worker will say to the new employee, the, the big boss that they don't know about, they'll say, you know, the boss or leadership doesn't really understand the way things work. And here, I'm going to show you because I'm on the front lines, I know how things work around here. And it's very, very interesting. It's funny because you know the setup that's taking place. And usually at the end of the episode, it is revealed who this new employee actually is. And there are tears and there are comments from the frontline workers that they've got to know. And they say these things back to their boss. They say, I am so glad that you decided to come and see how things work here in your company. And they're genuinely touched that they would leave their posh office and trade in for a hard hat or for whatever the job and that for them to be able to understand for themselves how their company works. And I'm pretty sure that um, when you watch reality TV, a lot of times it is very far-fetched and you think that's not reality at all. But in this particular show, it just seems like it is very raw, it is accurate, and if you're honest with yourself, you have likely thought this at your job. If he or she only knew what I do all day long. Anybody ever say that or think that about their boss? Maybe your boss is in the room, you don't want to raise your hand. Okay, no, we just got a lot of folded arms. Okay. I think you think that. And um, because sometimes we feel a disconnect from, from leadership. And maybe even if it doesn't happen at work, maybe you've thought this at church when you're volunteering in your position. And maybe you're a nursery worker. And maybe you're in there changing diapers and cleaning up spit. And you just think, how come Pastor Tim isn't here seeing what I actually do? Well, Tim was there. We got a picture of him. And, uh, and then, it, maybe nursery isn't your thing, but um, maybe you are leading the grade five boys down in the gym, and you're responsible for them. And chaos is all around you, and you think, how come Pastor Buckingham isn't down here to communicate to them what the biblical concept of the day is? Well, we managed to catch a picture of him as well. All right, the short shorts. And you know, this, this thought happens a lot in our lives. At work, maybe as you're volunteering. But it also happens when you're having a bad day. 
or when situations start to get out of control in your life. And generally when you're pouring your heart out to someone, you will say something like this. You just don't understand. You just don't understand how I feel. You just don't understand those words that hurt me. You don't understand what I want to actually do to that person. You don't understand the betrayal that I feel. You do not understand. And you fill in the blanks because that thought has likely crossed your mind before. Teenagers, you're not immune to this thought as well. Perhaps you've thought before um, about your parents. You just don't understand. Or parents, maybe you've heard your teenagers make that cry. As it's this human emotion that we just feel like there's a disconnect sometimes when it comes to our feelings. Well, here's the real question this morning. Have you ever thought that about God? Have you ever thought, God, you just don't understand my life? And in many cases, when we're speaking to somebody else, we are correct that that person does not understand. If they haven't gone through the exact thing you've gone through, then you're correct in saying they don't fully understand. But there is a line that you and I each cross of complete inaccuracy. If we ever point our finger figuratively or literally and say to God, you don't understand. And I'm here to tell you today that God understands your situation and understands you, period. No matter what situation you are in. In fact, God understands your situation even better than you. Because he knows you inside out. He knows the current situation you are in. And what you do not know is he understands where that current situation is going to lead to. He knows you. He has a better perspective of you and your situation than you do. What makes me so confident of this? You might say that Jesus was the first undercover boss. Now cynics are going to think, oh, that's real cute illustration, Pastor Dave. But if we go right to Scripture in, in John chapter 1, it's going to be on the screen behind us, I will show you that Jesus had come to life and people missed it. Um, there's going to be a few lines that are highlighted in red, and you guys can join in and we'll read those parts together. Here it is. There once was a man, his name was John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. Let's read this part together. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet the world didn't even notice him. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. I'll take it from here. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of the kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus the Messiah no one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse, let's finish it off together, this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. Jesus was right there in the trenches of real life, but some people completely missed it. He lived the life of a real baby, a real child, a real teenager, and then a real adult. And God understands your life because he experienced life in the trenches. 
Jesus experienced stress. He experienced tears. He experienced pain, doubt, anxiety, betrayal, and loss. He experienced all those things. And if you've ever had a bad day or you've ever been overloaded by demands, if you've ever ridden the roller coaster of sorrow and celebration at the same time, and if you've ever wondered if God in heaven is completely disconnected from you, then today is your day. Very similar to a little guy who's seven years old and he's in his driveway and his dad wants to show him how to shoot baskets. And so the little seven-year-old, he's got the full-size ball and he's doing these chest presses, trying to get that basketball up to the rim. Can't come close. And his dad says, here, son, look at this. And just puts a little swoosh. And then the little guy goes and he keeps trying. He wants to be just like his dad and he's pushing and pushing. Cannot get that ball up there. And dad says, watch, watch, it's just like this. Finally, the little guy just loses it. He just snaps. And he says, Dad, it's easy for you up there, but you don't know what it's like for me down here. And that can be our attitude, isn't it? That can be our thought when we don't understand that God really understands what we are going through. This can be a huge barrier for us on whether or not to trust and fully believe in God. In fact, this exact issue can determine where you will spend eternity, whether it is in hell or whether it is in heaven. But the question remains, why trust a God who doesn't understand my life? If you talk to some people who don't come to church, that will be one of the barriers for them. It's interesting that trusting people and things we can't see, things we don't understand, we do it more often than you realize. We trust pilots that you can't see. We trust doctors that we don't know who write something on a piece of paper that we can't read and we take it to a pharmacist who we don't know who mixes up a bunch of stuff that we don't know the contents of and then we drink it or take it and think that we're going to get better. But when it comes to fully relying and fully trusting on God, there is still a tension that exists. And I want to show you what helped me break through this barrier in my life. Some time ago, I want to take you through what author Max Lucado calls the second most stressful day in Jesus' life. Now, we can assume that Jesus' most stressful day was his crucifixion day, was the day that he died. But this day that we're going to look at is indeed a wild one full of a ton of different emotions for Jesus. Well, how do we know about this one particular day in his life? It's a great question. Jesus' life is written by four different gospel writers. In four different perspectives. And all four of them speak about this particular day in his life. They all share different accounts of that day. And so when those four Gospels are put together in chronological order, it's very, very interesting the flow of the day that Jesus experienced. The beginning of the day appears to have started off for Jesus by him receiving news of the death of John the Baptist. This was his cousin, his forerunner, his co-worker, his friend. John the Baptist came closer to understanding Jesus than anybody else, and he is now dead. Murdered, in fact, by the madness of King Herod Antipas, who was the son of King Herod the Great, for those of you that are really into history. And so John the Baptist is beheaded, and Jesus receives this terrible news. And because Jesus was fully human, the news would have caused deep sorrow to him. However, the day gets worse for Jesus. Not only have John's disciples come and brought this news about John's death, but they also say 
that there is a warning for Jesus. That, king, that they have every reason to believe that King Herod is after you too, Jesus. In fact, he wants to see you. We can assume that it wasn't just for a social time or a coffee date that King Herod wanted to see Jesus for. And so not only Jesus loses a friend, but now there's a death threat on him. And certainly that would have caused a, caused a high level of anxiety in him. It's quite a way to start a day. Interesting side note, um, biblically for you, that King Herod actually had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus on Jesus' crucifixion day. And that's a real interesting read for you to see how they interacted in Luke 23. But so with John's life taken and his own life being threatened, Jesus then decides to get away for a while in a boat by himself. Sounds like a great idea to be able to get away. But before he actually steps into the boat, before he can get away on his own, his own disciples show up to the scene. And it isn't clear, it, it isn't clear from Scripture, it doesn't appear that the disciples know about John's death. So they show up to Jesus with great enthusiasm, all 12 of these guys. What are they excited about? They're excited because of all the miracles that they have performed when they've been spread out all over the place. And all of the teaching that they have done in Jesus' name. Luke 9 tells us that Jesus had previously sent them out and gave them power. Let me just tell you what the scripture says, the power that they were given. Power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom of God, and heal the sick. Now these regular rough and tumble fishermen are in awe that this actually worked and they actually did this. And they're coming back to tell Jesus about it. Imagine the celebration. So now here is Jesus... Their leader needing to celebrate with them in these spiritual victories. It's just a complete polar opposite emotion to what Jesus would have been feeling and sensing at the time with this other news. It would be very similar to you attending a wedding and a funeral on the same day. Just opposite conflicting emotions. So the day continues on and Jesus convinces his disciples, hey, get in the boat with me, let's go. Perhaps have a chance to get alone, be able to debrief about all the events that have happened, a little staff meeting or retreat, if you will. And then Mark, chapter 6, verse 32, says this about their journey. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns. And got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So we know what Jesus is going through now. And he now needs to go into public speaking mode, which requires high energy and high emotion. And during this time, humanly speaking, Jesus would not have been feeling like doing so. But he continued and pressed on. And the people just kept coming and coming. And John chapter 6 says they're just coming over the hillside. And there's about 5,000 men, Scripture tells us, that have gathered. That's how they counted back then was they counted the men. And so it is not at all um, far-fetched to think, and scholars believe, that there would have been about fifteen to 25,000 people gathered at that particular time in attendance when you add women and children. And no doubt with a crowd that size, and from what we understand about the buzz that surrounded Jesus wherever he went, people are battling for his attention. 
People are wanting healing. People are pushing to the front because they want more miracles. It must have been pure chaos. Um, everyone vying for his attention. And I'm sure you've been speaking to somebody before and then there's somebody waiting in the wings who wants to speak to you as well. And you feel like you've got to hurry with this person to meet this person. Or you're on a phone call and the other line rings and you need to get to that phone call. And maybe your kid is pulling and trying to get your attention. It's stressful when people want your attention. Jesus was fully human. He would have felt that. And as a frame of reference for us, because we can throw around large numbers like that. But as a frame of reference, does anybody know how much the Moncton Coliseum seats for a hockey game? Their website says 6,500 people. So what we're talking about is three Moncton Coliseums full of people. Not only full of people, but full of hungry people. All in an open field. And that is the very context for the most famous miracle of all, of all the, fi- the feeding of the 5,000. Imagine meeting the needs of a very large crowd. Talk about pressure and time crunches and deadlines. Jesus would have felt that. I had a chance to go to Congo, Africa in 2010 with one of our teams. There's another team hoping to go in uh, 2014 in the spring. And what we did was we had this large youth rally and young adults... And over a thousand people came to this thing in a big field. Word spread really, really quick. And we had promised that we would feed the people who came to this youth and young adult rally. And I remember the feeling when we ran out of food. And there was still a lineup. And it was wild. And so do you see how this day is termed as the second most stressful day in Jesus' life? There's a lot going on here. And what's really interesting to me is that portions of this exact day are recorded in all four Gospels. All four Gospels um, do not record everything. They record the crucifixion and they record the feeding of the 5,000. But they don't even record Jesus' baptism. All four do not do that. Nor his temptation by Satan. Nor even his birth. So this day was significant to all four of those Gospel writers as they chronicled a portion of that day. Well, the question now becomes, so what? And I mentioned at the beginning that I wanted to remind everyone today that God understands your situation because he has experienced it. The writer in Hebrews gives a wonderful insight into that truth. And I want to read that for you as well. That's going to be on the screens. Since the children have flesh, that is us, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that wonderful truth? There's more here in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
The writer of Hebrews is absolutely convinced that God understands your life. Says he himself, not an angel, but he himself experienced. He shared fully, not partially, but entirely in what? In all of our experiences. In every hurt, every ache, all the stresses, all the strains. No exceptions, no substitutes. And why did he do that? We know that he came to earth to save us from our sins, to die on the cross, but also so he could sympathize with our weaknesses. And when I grabbed onto this truth in my own life, and when I understood it, I ran through the barrier of unbelief, through that barrier of the inability to trust that so many people get tripped up by. That is the Savior that I want to trust with my life. That is the Savior that I want to believe in. The one who understands me fully. And God chose to come down to earth to live so that he could understand. It's almost as if God knew that we would doubt a disconnected God. He knew us. And if employees from a company can get emotional and profoundly impacted by their CEO boss leaving their posh office, what should that do for us? When we think about the love that would have been required for God to experience life in the trenches. This is the very tension for some people in the room this morning. This is a huge trust factor. People want to have control. But to be able to trust their life to God. Because you can't trust a God who you think does not understand you. You cannot trust a God who you think does not understand you. That is a significant barrier. But I'm here to say that scripture unequivocally proclaims that God understands. Who better to trust than our creator? He designed you. He knows you. Have you ever had one of those days like Jesus? May not have mirrored the exact same, but emotions that are just all over the place. Just unexpected things happening one after another. Or maybe it was spread out over a week for you. Or spread out over an entire month where you just think, this month is out of control. I don't know what to feel anymore. There was one week in particular that this took place in my life. Where I just thought, God, I, just, I need to hold on to this truth that you understand. It was in July of 2006. And I celebrated on Saturday night a family wedding a cousin and a youth leader getting married. And I was the MC that night. And so I took place in all the excitement that takes place at a wedding. And the very next day, I received news that just rocked our church. As three young men, 19 years old, that were part of our youth ministry were in a tragic car accident. And Matt Murray died that day. And it was this deeply sorrowful time for our youth ministry and for our church and for our friends and our family. And I was one of the pastors that was involved in those two or three days making the calls and being with Ken and Helen, the parents and Matt's family and the other teenagers that were still injured and in the hospital. And it was just this wild time and teenagers that needed comforting and needed to understand what was going on. The funeral took place a few days later, packed out Life Center, all of McNaughton High School there, an opportunity to share the gospel with many, many teenagers. And I gave the eulogy, and there was just so many emotions going on. And the very next day after that funeral, I was at Beulah Camp, and I was ordained as a minister, an honor that I had been working for for several years. And it was a day that required very different emotions from the day before. 
Then all the while, my wife was seven months pregnant with our first child. And there's emotions that are required in that as well. And the day right after my ordination, I flew out to Europe with my 86-year-old grandfather for a war memorial trip. I mean, emotions just all over the place and conflicting with each other. I wonder if you've ever had a time like that where emotions are all over the place. And during these out-of-control moments, during these times when you're tempted to feel like no one understands and God, there is no way that you can understand, I am here to tell you that He does. And if you are a churchgoer for a long time, you've heard the phrase, God understands. But I am here to tell you to let that truth just penetrate your soul today. That he really, really understands you and your life. You don't have to carry life alone. The reason we set up today's service like this, some of you may be wondering, we we didn't do a lot of worship. We purposely set up today's service so you would have an opportunity to press the pause button on life right now. For you to be able to soak in what you desperately need, which is God's presence, and to be able to rest in that. You may feel like your life is going at hydroplane speeds, like that earlier video. And today is week one of a brand new series called Relationships. And some of you may think, you didn't talk at all about relationships. Well, yes, we did. We talked about the most important relationship of all, which is the relationship between you and God. And until you get that relationship right, when you cross that line of trust in Him, you are way better prepared to deal with the stress of your other relationships. To be able to respond to the people closest around you when you cross that line of trust and make Him Lord in your life. And so that's where Pastor Tim is headed in the next few weeks, to be able to break down those relationships that are closest to us. And while the band goes into an extended worship set here, I want to ask that you respect this time, that there's not a lot of moving around, and that you soak up and press pause on life right now. There's two types of people in this room. One type of person has crossed that line of trust. And through these songs, you're going to want to just sing these words as a prayer to God, thanking Him for understanding thanking him for knowing you so intimately that he would do this for you, caring about you so much. You may not have thanked him for that in quite a while, and you've been reminded of this truth that you've known about this morning. There's another type of person in this room today that you haven't crossed that line of full trust And you feel like God is disconnected. And maybe after hearing Scripture being revealed, this is not just my opinion, this is truth from Scripture being revealed to you. That Jesus lived the life. He knows about it. You've always viewed Him distant and out of touch. And today you want to pray. And you want to say, God, I actually, I do want to fully trust you now. I don't want to carry this life on my own. And I have not realized how much you actually know about me and how much you actually care about me. And so anytime throughout the worship, if you'd like to pray with a pastor, you can just come right over to this side here and one of the pastors would be able to pray with you if that's something you would like to do, if you feel comfortable with that. There's truth that's been exposed today. There's scripture that's been read. 
And I just pray that it has spoken to your heart and that you do not miss the truth that God understands your life no matter what you are going through. And there's great comfort in that and rest in that as we worship together as a church. Thank you, Pastor Dave. I don't know why Pastor Dave said what he said.